I think they can get this offseason really right and bring back the fan interest. And I, I don't think it has waned as much as it looks like it has by the attendance. Um, in recent games, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. And, yeah, looking ahead, I, I and, again, I'm a pessimistic Cardinals fan. That's how I started this, this show. But um, they're in a position to really do something special this winter and to build a lot of excitement around, around the team moving into 2022. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week by Drew Silva, senior Major League Baseball writer at NBC Sports Edge, a name that people are probably familiar with from all your fantasy writing through the years. Um, not that you wrote, like, fantasy, like, books, but, like, fantasy sports. I guess I kind of led that in as if you were, like, J.R.R. Tolkien of the St. Louis set. I wish. I'm the J.R.R. Tolkien of Twitter and <laughs> fantasy baseball. Um, with my weird posts sometimes. But yeah, it's great to be uh, with you outside, actually, too. If people hear trash trucks running by, we're at Caldi's on Demun. Shout out to Caldi's. Maybe we'll get some free coffee. <laughs> um, but yeah, we haven't seen each other in a while. And I, I always have looked up to you. I remember like the first time I was ever in a press box was in the, the 2013 All-Star Game wow. in the city. Um, I remember. Okay. okay. Yeah. And I was very nervous. We we might have met a time or two before or I don't know it was like in passing and either way I like came up to you and said no because we did meet like around the 2011 World Series now that I think about it but I came up to you and I was like hey this is my uh, first time like being sent to do something for media and you didn't say this in so many words but you were kind of like you, you can shadow me if or you're like you were like hey I'm going down to the field in five minutes I think you could probably see my my deer in headlights kind of mm -hmm. stare um, you're like I'm going down to the field it was maybe during batting practice for the futures game and I like stood by you while you talked to Oscar Taveras there and uh, some other I think Colton Wong was there too. yeah yeah and yeah. so that was very insightful and I very much appreciate it and I look up to you as a writer too and, and the way you conduct yourself actually the thing I appreciate the most about Derek Gould and I, I don't need to rain compliments down the whole time but uh you don't do play-by-play -play tweets on twitter of games no that's wow thanks i i just i don't understand why that's so much a thing for i follow because of what i do i have to follow all 30 teams so i follow 200 writers beat writers reporters tv radio guys and I just never understood like who's going to Twitter for play-by-play -play of a game that they're probably watching or can pull up on MLB game day if they really want play-by-play -play tweets. So I really appreciate that about you. Oh, yeah, that was, I mean, it's a conscious choice, but yeah, I don't want, I mean, because I figure people are tired of reading me enough that they don't need to also read the play-by-play -play, um maybe save some of the play-by-play -play for the game story i'm not sure that's what but, i'm yeah. I, I was thinking if i was a beat writer and i was having to write game stories and other sidebars i don't think i would spend my and this is not a knock on anyone i understand why people do it because it if, if you send out a tweet it gets a bunch of likes and you get new followers and you build your brand so to speak but I like that you focus on kind of old school, I don't even want to call it old school, it just seems like logical reporting. I don't really understand why, and you probably would agree with this, like, Twitter doesn't pay no. anybody. Anybody. It's not my employer. I try to remind people of that. Like, yeah. So why is everything broken on there, like news? Like, why are, why are people breaking news on there? I don't, I don't really... And I know people, some people who follow you might get pissed off when you say, like, oh, well, read, read stltoday.com if you want the answer to that. But that's how it, it should be. And I think if all publications team together and we're like, why are we putting all of our content on this yeah. site that gives us really nothing in return? My, you know, my my paper, and it may be behind, but it, it's the way it goes. They, they would prefer a story go up than a tweet yes. go up. They would prefer a link go up than... Uh, than a than a tweet so there are times where it's like all right well i'm gonna try to write this story and have the link up um because i know the news is coming and then get torpedoed by a tweet um but then we have a story like a full-fledged like 18 inch you know or 20 inch story 
Um, most recently, an example would be this past week with quotes. Um, but it was like, well, that wasn't the tweet. And that is, so it's tough. And I, I don't really have a good answer for that because the tweet is fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but the tweet is also not what my, not it doesn't benefit my paper. Whereas having the article with the quote that no one else had and all the information right. first was benefit. I don't know. It's, I don't have, like I said, I don't have a good answer, but I, but it is something that to be honest, cl- keeps me awake at night because I don't know, like, should I go to write the story? Should I go to tweet? Because if I tweet it out without a link, you can bet that the follow-up link is probably not going to do all that well. Yep, That's totally. the kind of weird thing. So, um, this is your second appearance on the best podcast in baseball. The previous one was with with Bernie Miklas, who was the first he and I like kind of created this but it was at Urban Chestnut at one of the events that we did there at the beer hall and it was great it was fantastic and I've been like trying to find a reason um and I've been done a poor job of it because that was like 20 years ago um but uh uh uh, having you back because I thought like if we could but I think part of it too was like can we do things live again can we have like a podcast live again um, so we're essentially recreating that. If people come around and listen to us, that's cool. We could have a live audience, like the guy reading over there who's giving us a bad luck. Um, but you're also, in addition to scouring 200 beat writers, goodness gracious, and all the coverage for the 30 Major League Baseball teams um, to then kind of distill and give advice on fantasy, you're a Cardinal fan, right? And yeah. um and that comes through on Twitter. Sometimes you share in the Twitter angst. Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't quite seen the DFA lust from you that I see so profound in the Twitter sphere. Um, but how do you ba- how have you balanced that? How have you come to say, okay, look, I can I can share my frustrations, sometimes your thrills um, as a Cardinal fan, um, with then also providing like because cons- people will follow you on Twitter for fantasy advice. Right. I, I find that it's actually pretty easy, especially as a in the fantasy space. It's a numbers game and it's rankings and there's really no room for bias. And if anything, I'm a pessimistic Cardinals fan, as as you probably know from following <laughs> me. Yeah, I don't do the DFA lust or the I try not to get people fired. You know, or or try. I mean, I have no accountable. Problem. Accountable is the euphemism yeah, for fired. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I I think as I've grown a little bit older and been doing this now for 13 years, which is crazy. Wow. Um, I've kind of learned that these are people too, and I, you know, generally they're trying their hardest. And there's things behind the scenes that I might not, that I definitely don't know about. Um, but yeah, I mean, my Cardinals fandom you brought up bernie so i moved to st louis in 1996 i guess i was nine or ten years old and um my dad is a huge sports fan he stayed back in dc my parents are divorced my mom remarried to a man who lives in st louis um and my dad loves sports loves sports radio reading newspapers around the country he's got his teams like notre dame and um like the, the the Nationals now, but it was the Orioles then. So when we moved in 1996, the Orioles were in the ALCS against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. That was the famous Jeffrey Mayer, the yeah. kid that reaches over that series. The Cardinals were in the NLCS against the Braves, right? Mm-hmm. So I was an Orioles fan. That was before the Nationals. We Our family were Orioles fans. That was before the, the Nationals moved in. Um, and so to have, like, it, it was a perfect kind of congealing of my old fandom and then this new team in this new city. Um, and then from 1996, they don't make the the World Series, neither did the Orioles, but McGuire comes along um, at, when I'm in like seventh, eighth grade. And, you know. Pretty that, impressionable, yeah. Yeah, that was relitigated down the road, that whole story, but it was very exciting at the time for a, a seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grader. Albert Pools comes along when I'm a freshman in high school. Um, 2005 the the Lidge home I'm a, I'm a freshman in college at the University of Dayton the Lidge home run or the the pools home run off of Brad Lidge mm-hmm. I'm a I'm in my freshman dorm and I meet these kids from St. Louis who went to like SLU and DeSmet who I didn't necessarily hang out with in high school but are still my best friends today because we stayed up all night 
after that home run and said we were going to dance until the next game the following day. We, all, <laughs> we kind of all petered out by about 8 a.m., but we, we gave it a, a, a good college try. And then 2006, um, I'm, a I guess, a sophomore in college, and I'm watching a house party with all these friends that I had made from St. Louis. 2011, I'm just starting, like, writing about baseball. So the point is, this 22, 23-year period, they've been relevant. They've mm. been a very competitive, off twice World Series champion team since I've known about their existence, essentially, having moved to St. Louis at age nine. People come to you for, like, straight advice then on what to do with their fantasy teams and like an evaluation of what the trends are i would imagine what the matchups are things that they can gain an advantage um i mean an edge is in the name of the website uh, how do you then stay true because if you over accentuate what the cardinals are going to do if you give that little fan twist to it um people will notice right if yeah. like if you overstay like well arenado he's gonna go off for the uh, mvp people will kind of go wait a minute now is this drew the analyst talking or is it drew the fan how, how do you separate those things i think i i think it's really easy to separate them like like i said it's it's a numbers game and i i'm not going to rank paul de young as a top eight shortstop you know like there's a lot better players it's just it's simple analysis and also, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a bit more pessimistic, and if not right now, especially a little bit apathetic Cardinals fan. Mm. I can't say that... I'd be lying if I said that I watched them all the time right now. I'd also be lying if I said I wasn't paying attention, because it's still, again, it kind of runs deep. But I, I find it e very easy to, to disconnect. It's not even like a conscience, conscious thing. It's an unconscious thing where I'm just thinking about what this player can do in the five by five fantasy scoring categories, not whether, you know, I watch him more than I watch other players. We're recording this the day after the disaster in Pittsburgh. Um, so good timing on our part. Um, you know, what the Cardinals go from leading by four at one real quick to trailing by four um, in an inning where a lot of different moves could have been made. Uh, Yenesis Cabrera does not record an out six runs he allows um he's allowed nine runs this month actually nine runs in his last 18 appearances all nine to the pirates um and watching that inning it was very pretty clear the the pirates had something on him mm. but also that the that it got away from the cardinals really fast you know i mean there's a three batter minimum and he faced twice that many and by the time he got out of trouble the game was over and you could probably, we could poetically probably point back to the game and say the season was over. I mean, it, you know, the Padres have really done their best to keep the Cardinals involved in this. Um, and the Reds and Brewers, Brewers helped them out a little bit. In the wake of that and understanding that that might <laughs> lend to the pessimism, where do you see this team at this moment? Well, to me, when Flaherty goes down with shoulder tightness and whatever that proves to be, I guess there might be some more reporting on that today or tomorrow, or I guess we're, we're recording this on Friday morning. Um, I think they're toast, to be honest. I mean, I guess they're only three and a half back still of the wild card because the Padres lost again on mm -hmm. to the Dodgers, and yeah, they're trying to give it away, and the Reds, I mean, the Cardinals are not to the to the level of those teams. I think we could say that easily with Flaherty likely done for the rest of the season. Um, and that's not just pessimism. I think that's being realistic. And I, I didn't, I, it was seven to one when I started my podcast last night, the circling the bases podcast, shout out <laughs> on uh, NBC sports edge. And like, by the time I turned around and looked at the little TV in my office, it was 11 to seven. And I was like, what happened? And I guess mm -hmm. it was that eight run, inning um and i the he gave up what Cabrera gave up six consecutive hits mm -hmm. in a span of like 12 pitches 13 pitches 13 yeah well pitches. 12 because the one first one was taken for a ball i went back and looked at this today because it, the first pitch he throws was taken for a ball then the next five were single single foul single single i mean like and the fouled one was like you know just foul so 
that that's what I mean. It was and it was off the fastball. It was off of two pitches out of the zone, maybe three. You could argue. One of the base hits was on a, a plunging sinker at like 97 miles an hour, but the hitter was geared d- d- uh, Wilmer Defo. Defo. Um, I believe that's who it was. Yeah, he was geared up for it. I mean, it was like uh, there's they, something, yeah, they got and especially when no one else has scored on him um, in the month, and the the Pirates have done it, you know, now nine times. I mean, it was three times at Bush the other day, and Cabrera had a problem, but that was kind of waved off. Like, okay, well, that's a blip. Well, now it's a trend. Yeah, and I know Schilt got a little testy, and maybe he's right. It, it happened too fast for them to be able to slow the situation down. Um, there were ways to slow the situation down. By Yachty him. called time twice yeah. during the same at-bat to try to slow things down. And I don't know. I, I was listening to his post-game uh, comments this morning, actually, just kind of rehashing what had happened because I was doing a podcast, wasn't really paying attention. I figured we would talk about that game. <laughs> um, and I, I'm getting the vibes, and I got these vibes two months ago that he has sort of, and I don't want to put you in a weird spot, maybe you have some background reporting on this, but he has kind of expressed a desire that he needs more pitching. Yes. Like, subtly or not so subtly. And he kind of said it again last night. I, I think the, the quote was, this is what we have. Mm-hmm. Like when they asked, oh, why did Ponce, or why didn't you pull Cabrera earlier, and why was it Ponce that came in? He was kind of like, this is what I got. Mm-hmm. And and I know that Schilt has gotten a lot of criticism on Twitter or whatever. Um, and there have been some moves recently, some in-game management moves that I was just kind of, I've kind of been puzzled by. And I, I wonder if he's a little bit upset by what the front office gave him and I think if Cardinals fans are are mad at anyone it should be the construction of this roster um not on Schilt necessarily there have been multiple times early in the year where he said I work with what I have I'm using what I got different variations of that Mm -hmm. phrase and it was very clear because especially like when the walk fest was going on when they were walkathon and he grew very tired of you know Answering answering questions about that um and 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 I would try to press either on Zoom, which I which is awful, sure. um, or in person to say, look, you know, you can't. Why can't you correct this? This is like n- development in the majors now is a thing. Like if a team is not doing that, a team is behind. If a team expects a player to have you know 1,200 at bats or whatever it is, you know, 500 innings in their pro career before they get to the majors and have all this sorted out. That's not happening anymore. Players are getting up younger, they're throwing harder, and development has to take place in the major leagues. And if that is a flaw of development, that you can't get the guys on the job to throw strikes, um, or if it's a flaw of personnel, then either way, address it. Um, The Cardinals' actions have suggested that they felt it was both, you know, a flaw of asking too much of young guys who don't have a whole lot of innings in the minors, Oviedo, um, or a flaw of personnel where they just didn't have guys, they had guys with great stuff but not great command, and they needed great command. And so he would drop these, um, these phrases where he couldn't, where he'd walk to the brink of saying, I need new yeah. guys, without walking over it. And it's, it's something that we saw with Tony La Russa. Um, who would couldn't stop himself at times and would go over the brink, yeah. say, I need new guys. Where's Barry Bonds? Can I get a Barry Bonds? I'd like a Barry Bonds off the bench. <laughs> Can I get a Pedro Feliz? I'd really like Pedro Feliz to play third base. Can I get that? Um, Where's so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, so Schilt has said that, and he did return to that the other day. Mm-hmm. I, I think the most, the most revealing comment he's had um, that is subtle because the most revealing comment of all was when he could not hide that they had these meetings to readjust their offensive approach. Like it was, and I, you know, they they acknowledge, which is very rare for them to do, that they were they had problems offensively and that they had met to um, to do that. Now they Schilt knew that I knew, and I'm I'm sure other folks did too, knew those meetings took place. And Tommy Edmond had famously referred yeah. to them as saying, "Hey, we uh, discussed about the um, about the approach earlier in the day." Schultz was aware that at least I, and I'm sure other reporters, knew that these meetings had taken place and that they had been pretty, you know, there'd been some friction in mm-hmm. them, and that they had led to changes that were we were going to see 
um, either in their approach or in the setup in the dugout or whatnot. And so they were public about that. The other day, and I'll get to my crux of this, right? The other, the other day, um, he said, there is no margin for error with our offense. We are playing too small, too low scoring of games. He said, we have to be airtight everywhere else. Mm. And I thought that was the most profoundly telling statement where he walked up to the brink and said, everybody else walk over. That's as far as I can go. But that, that is the, that is the crux of what his commentary has been in the past week is not just like, Hey, I work with the guys I have because part of that is saying too, look like, you know, uh, Garcia was not available. I've had to go with more of the bullpen. These guys I had to protect. So I work with what I have in that regard, but it also is a statement to like, I need, I need better on the roster. Mm-hmm. And then the statement earlier, I need better from the offense. Yeah. I mean, totally. And to give, John Mozeliak some credit too I mean that 23 year run of success that I just mentioned when I became a Cardinals fan at age 9 he's been a part of a lot of that and I think anytime you kind of complain about the Cardinals at least as someone like me who has a lot of different kind of fans following they're like you're so spoiled mm-hmm. and they're probably that's a great point yeah, yeah I mean they're right it's it's totally true like like I have some Diamondbacks fans following me like, dude, you know, chill out. Everything's going to be okay. You guys yeah. might miss the playoffs for, you know, only the third time in 20 years or you know, it's, it's more than that. But, um, and I think their strategy, and again, I'm just kind of Twitter guy spouting off here and you're the reporter, but I think their strategy going into the off season, I, I think you saw this with the Colton Wong option deal, you know, declining that is that, they said, all right, we've made some mistakes, and we know there's some bad money coming off the books next year. We're kind of, we're going to kind of just get through 2021. It's not going to be a high revenue year again because the you know stadium's not going to be packed. They didn't even know when it when they could go to full capacity at that point, especially back in November. Um, and then Nolan Arenado, at least in my impression, kind of forces a trade to St. Louis, or mm-hmm. he at least falls into their laps. And I think if they could do it over, they might have kept Wong and spent a little more money in, in other places. I'm, I'm just surprised once Arenado falls into their laps, they don't get a little more aggressive for a starting pitcher. And it, was, it yeah. wasn't a great market for it, you know, to be fair. Like Jake Odorizzi, he's had a lot of ups and downs in Houston. Um, he was kind of like their last remaining target left that they had um, to look at. But I, I, I feel like... Mosellac wanted this year to kind of just be a wash and maybe DeWitt as well too and then this coming off season I think they're going to spend money because it's there's a buyer's market for shortstops mm-hmm. there's four five maybe really really talented shortstops that can have an effect offensively and defensively there's some outfielders out there if they want to get creative and don't like what they've seen the inconsistency with Bader and um, maybe the DH too is probably coming right. next year, so that's a way to add another bat. Um, and the starting pitch, pitching, who's to say right now with with the status of Flaherty's shoulder? But they're kind of good on that end. They could maybe add another starter. So I think there are they're kind of have pieces in motion. What they only have ninety one million dollars committed next year, I believe, before arbitration raises. Um, so that's, the, I mean, they've got some, what is it, payroll muscle, or what, what are the what are the buzzwords that Mo likes to use? <laughs> that was, a, that was a, the payroll muscle. That, yeah. that was the one where Theo said, Theo Epstein of the Cubs goes, you know, everybody in the division is waiting for them to put down the pedal and actually show it off. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a great, that was a great GM <laughs> meetings. Man, I miss those. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, payroll muscle, that was something. And then they didn't really flex it. I, you know, I, I was going to ask you how the Cardinals got here. You kind of cover that so maybe the better conversation for us to have is to pivot a little bit and say where do they go from here um you know the uh there's a the the outfield offense is is interesting the the dh i think opens up a whole new world and Mm -hmm. we'll get to that the first stop i want to make though is i actually think as much as i tried to beat the drum that they needed another starting pitcher in spring um going into spring even after they signed the, the fact that they traded Austin Gomber and then did not replace Austin Gomber yeah. was a huge deal. Um, and, I and you know, Mosellock really pushed back privately, publicly hard on that premise. When I would pose that, I'm like, you did not replace Gomber. And he was like, well, we have guys to replace. It's like, okay, I mean, if you do, then great, you're right. But what Gomber was 
was so important to this team because he was a healthy and pitching well and savvy and competitive and could handle innings. Like he yes, brought a balance yeah. to the back end of a rotation, whether you needed him or not, or a long relief. Or a long relief. Yeah. He could do so many things. And like um, when Michaelis has the the trouble in the spring, or, or Kim has a backache, the question was like, oh, well, who do they go to? And I was like, oh, well, they would have gone to Gomber, but you didn't have that guy. Um, I actually think that like right now. If they bring two guys back, and I'll, I'll present this to you, they're pretty good for starting rotation. They can they can bring two guys back at a reasonable rate, and not have to spend the winter discussing starters. Mm-hmm. Those two guys would be Wainwright, of course, who's a free agent and has earned the right to return if he wants to, I think. And the other one would be Hap. Um, they've had a long time interest in J. A. Hap. You know J. A. Hap from mm-hmm. you know from a mercurial fantasy life mm-hmm. um, or, or fantasy baseball life. I don't know how to say it, okay. but <laughs> I think people understand. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like he, he's been great. He's been down. He's been, he's been a, a guy who is kind of the back end of a winning fantasy rotation. Um, just as he has been that in his career, bring those two guys back and you have the depth and versatility um, to probably go with that group. If Reyes is a starter, if, Oviedo improves. Dakota Hudson, Dakota Hudson yeah. coming back. Right. That that would be the premise that I would have with the starting pitch. That maybe they have the answers on hand that they could take care of quickly. Yeah, and maybe that explains going back to my premise that they kind of wanted or thought of this season as being just sort of a push it off, a or bridge year, a bridge year. Um, that's why they. I mean, I, there were people in the spring who were. This is kind of a straw man thing, but like that we're saying that the Cardinals had a strength in the starting rotation. I just never saw it that way. Like, and it's easy with hindsight, 2020, um, but to rely on Michaelis to be fully healthy and back to like a 180 plus mm-hmm. inning arm was insane to me. Um, Kwang Young Kim, you know, has never really done it. You know, yeah. um, at least over a, a full spectrum of the season. So to be relying on him, I mean, they've gotten an incredible year from Adam Wainwright that you know has kind of saved them it's especially second year in a row yeah right and if he wants to return i mean he should be asking for 15 million dollars if i'm him like especially with yadier molina on the decline defense i love yadier molina but he's clearly declining defensively and offensively and for him to get 10 million i I, if i'm wainwright i'm like all right if this can be my last year I want upwards of 20 even. And and he could probably maybe get that from another team if he really wanted to. But the way he's pitched, he's such a – I could talk about Wainwright for days because I feel he's very unique mm. in this modern era of baseball. You don't see those looping curveballs yeah. like he throws. And he's he throws like a 90-mile-an-hour, you know – sinker or you know the fastball that that maybe touches 93 if he really brings it it's it's super unique that that his approach and I'm sure the height helps and the the release point is is something that players just don't see often um but where was I going I mean yeah like I I think they're good kind of on the starting pitching end maybe if there's an option there to to make a trade or if you're if you want to upgrade the outfield or something you could kind of trade but I think Hap, Hap bringing Hap back on like a one-year kind of $4 million, $5 million type deal. Eight, nine. That was the going rate last year. Yeah. I mean, and that was the one that they avoided. Well, I, I do think this is going to be another offseason where there will be only a select few spenders. Mm. Um, especially with the Cubs kind of, you know, pulling themselves out of out of the mix to be run like a large market team and again yeah and it and it's a it's an excuse for a lot of teams to say hey you know this was another pandemic year we can't spend this offseason cba yeah this well i mean that that is the the cloud over the whole thing is there even going to be a full season what's the free agent market going to look like after that the dust has settled on that I guess moves can happen before there's a, a CBA in place. Is that your understanding of it? So it depends. So in the past, the there's not been like a transaction freeze, but no. you're going back. I mean, baseball has had, you know, yeah, yeah, labor peace for a long time. Different players involved, different setup involved. I mean, not different players as in on the field, different players as in the boardroom involved. Um, so, and you also, let's be honest, they might be allowed to make transactions by rule. 
but what teams are going to really yeah, do that? That's a good point. Um, so there might be a de facto transaction freeze. I've heard that multiple times. They might not ever say it, but there might be a de facto transaction freeze in the same way that there was a de facto chill to the free agent last year, not because of like this, you know, just because of the factors in play. Um, or in the same way there's been like a de facto trend in arbitration, which has been a little bit more orchestrated um, and a little bit more obvious. But, you know, there, there aren't rules in place, but they put guardrails in place. Or, you know, you don't see one team make a big move, so then no other team makes a big move. It's, I mean, it's all... All this stuff is, is somewhat predictable because, like, even I'll use the draft, right? You see the announcement of how deals are done in the draft, and you'll rarely see the ninth pick who goes over slot announced before that eighth pick who signed for slot. Sure. You know, um, that can't be a coincidence. No. You know, so, I mean, the, the teams will respond to others, and they will they will notice what other teams are doing and they'll always probably want to be the second or third team or maybe seventh or in the Cardinals case 24th team to make the move than the than the other ones so I, there might be a de facto kind of freeze on things which will well, change it what are your feelings on this CBA I, I found it interesting that the kind of the first reporting we got on it was from Ken Rosenthal a couple weeks ago and in his report Maybe you have more. I'm sure you have more knowledge on this than, than I do. But in his report, he was saying that the the union had made a proposal four months earlier mm-hmm. than whenever this report came out in, in mid-August. Um, and in that report, they were trying. One of their things was they want the service time system changed, like a year right. lopped off. Right. And my thought is, how are they ever going? Where's the leverage that the union has to get that done? Because I mean, the owners love this current system right it's it's unique to any professional sports league that i know of where you don't get paid until you've put in four and a half five years or so um i guess the nfl has kind of tried to do that recently but it, they still get paid if, if you're an effective quarterback or pass rusher you're going to get paid young um and i just don't see where the the union's leverage is to get that time I mean, we're, we're gonna we're talking about possibly you know, $10 million per team. Like, imagine if Chris Bryant had hit arbitration a year earlier than he did, I guess, which would have been a possibility if they didn't stunt his service time a bit. But I just, I mean, it's a convoluted discussion that I haven't really wrapped my head around, but it seems like what the players want is going to be really hard. Like, expanded playoffs is a nice chip that they have, but I think they'd both be fine with expanded playoffs because it's going to mean a bigger pot of money. Right. Um, so I, I just I don't I think it's going to be ugly. I, I don't really see where they're going to find common ground at a time for baseball where it's very fragile. It's very fragile, and, yeah. and I think it's if it if there's a work an extended work stoppage, I think it would be I think it would take maybe decades to recover from from the grand scheme of things. Like they'll be it'll survive. People have been yeah. saying baseball is dying for centuries. <laughs> it'll yeah. Yeah, but it, it'll be smaller. It'll be it'll it'll be smaller when they return. It, it might breach its contract with the public, yeah. which is a bad That's a great way to put it. Um which is a bad thing to do when you're a national or a civic treasure. I'm going to wear out the Poxatoni Phil metaphor, but there's going to come a time for baseball when the country comes out of quarantine, comes out of a pandemic and looks around and if it sees six more weeks without baseball, yeah. it might turn its back on it. And that's and it'll come back and it'll be fine and everything like that. But you're gonna see an extended kind of reality for baseball to to have, you know, all the options of streaming and all the stuff that they have before them to fix the blackout issues, to make baseball more available even if fans in Iowa who are blacked out by what seems to be 28 of the 30 teams. Um, and I can never wrap my head around the blackout thing. It's, I don't... It's, it's, you know, baseball did a cool in thing. the 1980s or the 90s. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. All right. Well, yeah, when you were driving... Um, I mean, baseball did a cool thing to bring the Field of Dreams game to Iowa, but let's not ignore the fact that they removed two minor league teams, I think, at least, two from mm-hmm. Iowa and also black out six teams in Iowa. So it's great that that one game was there, 
but there are hundreds that they took away yeah. or continue to take away from an audience that is there that could be fertile ground for baseball um so i i do have concerns that you know you think about we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of the tragedy and the attack of 9-11 you think of the role baseball played in the country's return from that whether it was jack buck's poem or george w bush's first pitch at yankee stadium or that world series which was a remarkable world series that had the yankees in it maybe for the first time ever the country rooting for the yankees right (laughs) um and just just the the role baseball has played in a country coming back our country coming back um and finding its footing and finding community and finding um something to pull for together is there at every step in history and yeah i'm biased and yes i look for it but it's there and now because of the timing it may not be and that is the breach of contract that that i think is really should be a concern for the for the sport yeah no i think the punk satani phil (laughs) metaphor or if you call it was apt i mean and the way that that kids consume media now is is really something to think about it i mean you have a teenage son i you know have some younger cousins and they just like watch youtube all day i have a niece who's i guess nine now Mm -hmm. she just watches youtube and like plays roblox on her phone and and talks to her and communicates with her friends that way and i think if baseball got a little more open about just putting its content out there like people complain about the youtube games but there's something to that they draw big viewers and if if you're a kid sitting on youtube and you know you kind of want to check in on the baseball game well it comes there up there on like recommended videos um and so i think the blackout thing doesn't make sense and i i would almost make mlb.tv not free but pretty close like itunes to free yeah yeah sure you can buy a game yeah. or something or you can like buy tokens or you know yeah. I mean, t- speaking of tokens like the gambling thing too i uh, so we, we talked about this on our podcast not too long ago circling the bases yeah circling the bases uh, get it at google play apple store whatever uh spotify um but how rob manfred forever was talking about um speeding up the pace of of play mm-hmm. and then I guess he had a conversation with Adam Silver of the you know NBA commissioner and he said no your game is great for gambling don't make it shorter you know embrace the length of it and you notice how we don't really hear pace of play no, from the commissioner's mouth at least anymore that you know they're trying things in the Atlantic League and moving the mound back or, or what have you but um, the gambling aspect too man I it's Baseball is not a great game for gambling. I mean, I think you could point to gambling for the explosion of the NFL and the NBA. They're they're fun to gamble on. Um, they just you got betting lines that make sense, and usually the best team wins. And so mm-hmm. you're just thinking about a spread. And baseball, you know, the Orioles will m- maybe pull off 50 something wins this year. You know, and, yeah. and the the Pirates are going to win. I don't think they're going to have 100 losses. You know, <laughs> like so. It's it's a unique sport in that regard as far as like betting on individual games and that's something for Manfred to consider too as they really embrace this gambling thing and I work for a website that has really embraced this gambling thing so I I like to take a step back and look at that picture of the whole sport landscape too. We launched into this by you talking about the leverage that the fan or that the players have in the CBA. Um, gambling is going to be part of that conversation. The revenue coming in, um, not just you know, from those sites to sponsorships and everything like that to the teams, but also, you know, to MLB Network, which is run by the owners. And, you know, where are the owners going to define their revenue streams if they try to impose a salary cap, which is what the baseball players want no part of, um, because they feel like they won't get the direct definition of what the actual revenue streams are. So how can they count on actually getting 51 or 52% of the pie when mm-hmm. setting up that salary cap, which is how salary caps work, right? They're, yep. they're, hey, this is the pool. This is the whole, or pie, I'll stick with that. This is the whole apple pie of revenue. We are going to set the salary cap based on owners taking 51 and players taking 49 or whatnot. So the leverage points are 
you know, even at points where they agree. So if players do want to get salaries higher earlier, you know, Jack players talk about this for almost as long as he's been in the majors, and the union is responsive to that. They they are responsive to these young players who are coming up earlier and performing better and being big parts of it. They want them to have access to sal- higher salaries to represent what they're bringing to the team earlier. How they get that is in some ways through things that they already agree on, right? Both sides agree on a universal DH. Yeah. Players don't have to give that up unless they get something. Both sides do agree and get benefit from expanded playoffs. Players don't have to agree to that unless they get something. The last time they had a CBA, players were really focused on on lifestyle improvements. You know, better game times, easier travel, you know, more off days. And they got those things that improved the lifestyle. Now they want changes to financial structures. And that is going to be, that's going to create more friction. Um, you know, owners got big gains or, or status quo in some regards, but but because the the lifestyle emphasis was there for players, and of course they were going to get that. Yeah, I mean that seems like uh, I don't know, like Cartoon Network compared to like HBO or something. Like the negotiations of that, I I was you know seven years old when when the last work stoppage or strike happened, so I, I didn't realize what the the sticking points were. Um, oh, no, I don't mean that one. Yeah. That wasn't lifestyle. I'm talking about like four years ago. Three oh, gotcha. years ago. Gotcha. Yeah, no, in 94 it was a mess the when they redid the CBA gotcha. without having to. Yeah, thank right. you for that. I mean, like most recently, like three, uh, four or five years ago when they went through the most recent round of CBA where it was it done pretty, pretty quickly. Rolled over, yeah, yeah, rolled it over. But they wanted lifestyle. I mean, what they sought was lifestyle changes. That's why you saw the injection of extra off days. Like the season got longer. Um, that's, it starts on a Thursday. Um, you got the extra day after the All-Star game. Um, think back uh, to the travel, right? Teams were imposed as to when they could start getaway days, games. That was part of it, too, improving travel. So these were the lifestyle elements of that, right. whereas there wasn't like a real kind of arm wrestling over the arbitration or getting salaries for younger, which is where they are now. 94, way different thing. That was a, that was a, that was a strike, first of all. Yeah. Players stopped in the middle of the season out of fear of the impo- imposition, uh, not fear, but... Uh, as a way to reject a salary cap or whatever was coming their way. This is a different kind of work stoppage. This is more likely to be a lockout, Mm -hmm. which is when the owners say, without an agreement, we won't let you come to work. Yeah, and I wonder if the Universal TH and Expanded Playoffs are that great of bargaining chips because, like you said, they kind of both agree that they're on the way anyway. And, of course, the players can say, well, no, they're not on the way now. We want service time changed. But the owner is going to be like, well, no. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to be a, a flat no, and maybe they they can get creative with it and restructure service time a little bit to where it all makes sense for everybody. But that's above my head, and I mm-hmm. haven't read read any recent reporting about it um, that suggests that there's like, you know, good feelings between the two parties. So let's 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 take the leap that there is a universal DH. You mentioned the market for shortstop next year is there and it could be a buyer's market which i find a very fascinating way to describe it where would you as someone who watches a lot of baseball and pays a lot of attention to baseball and also has you know the the side job as a cardinal fan what do you think is the best fit for them what what should they do and the universal dh is in play man i feel like i need to take a moment um so I saw, I guess, speculation. Maybe it was Jim Bowden who, who tied Corey Seager to them. So he, I can take away some of the speculation. Yeah. So Corey Seager, left-handed bat at shortstop yep. of appeal to the Cardinals. Certainly. And when he's healthy, um, a real power bat who is still kind of filling out and and is... A, a value play. Yeah. And could maybe move to third base at some point where his brother plays. Um, but he's, he's a really good defensive shortstop as it is right now. Um, but if you're talking long-term, if you're going to sign him to a long-term deal, there's also Carlos Correa, a lot of durability issues there, but, and, you know, the baggage of the sign stealing stuff. And he was kind of front and center of that along with Altuve and Bregman. Um, Trevor Story, do you pair him with Nolan Arenado? 
uh, you know, bring that back from Colorado. And, and I know that story splits, home road splits are really dramatic, but we've talked about this and with the Arenado dealings, you can't really just look at those splits and, mm -hmm. and, you know, call them science. It's, you know, it's tough going on the road when you play most of your games at altitude and making those adjustments on a short road trip, right? And also in a division where it has some of the worst places to hit for a right-handed batter. That's a good point, too. When you have AT&T yeah. and Petco. Or not AT&T. No, it's Oracle. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Pac Bell. Whatever it is. Lone Depot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the ballpark by the bay. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Javier Baez, who there's a lot of swing and miss in his game. Um, we know the talent is impressive sometimes but he would be I don't th the point is there's a lot of really exciting options out there I guess Trey Turner's a year away mm -hmm. who I'm, I'm I'm forgetting someone too um but there and if you look at if you just look at the well, MLB Lindor was in the group and Lindor signed the group, yeah. Right. yeah and if you just look at the MLB standings what contending team right now with a big payroll needs a shortstop Maybe the Yankees, but they have two really good shortstop prospects, and I, I don't think they've fully given up on Glaber Torres yet, even though he's had a really frustrating year. Mm -hmm. um, the Red Sox are, are good with Bogarts. Uh, the White Sox are good with Tim Anderson. Um, uh, the A's aren't going to be in that kind of running. Um, they're playing Elvis Andrews a lot at shortstop right now. I'm, I'm sure they wish they had retained Marcus Simeon, who's going to be free. I was just going to ask if you th were going to include Simeon. Yeah, in yeah, I would totally. I mean, he's what an incredible signing he's been for the Blue Jays. Not so much George Springer, but that's injury stuff. But yeah, I mean the and and the Blue Jays are set with Bo Bichette. Um, yeah. If you just swing around the league. Nationals aren't, depending on what they want to do. If they want to raise money or raise their so payroll <laughs> and quickly try to reboot, they're not set at shortstop. They're, they're, yeah, you're right, and they do not have a prospect there either. Um, with Carter Keboom, I guess it would be a third baseman long term. But um, the Dodgers have Trey Turner now, at least for another year, and they have shortstop prospects in the works. But what about the Padres? <laughs> I mean, if they're, they're going to play Fernando Tatis Jr. In, in right field, maybe, which might actually be a good long-term spot for him. They didn't really pay for a right fielder, though. That's true. That's a that's a that's a really good point. Maybe center fielder. I, I would I would think those kind of positions would be just as stressful. Uh, at least center field, pretty comparable to him re-injuring his shoulder as shortstop is. That's just I, I'm worried about him with his style of play. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they have to stabilize that shoulder eventually. But anyway, yeah, the point is there are all these dynamic shortstops, high-impact offense, who some of them are relatively young, too. And I think if you're the Cardinals, you're in a great position to kind of take your pick, um, which almost brings you back to, like, the Yelich, Ozuna, mm -hmm. Stanton stuff, yeah. where they kind of picked the wrong, well, maybe Well, they second. wanted Yelich, Yelich. Yeah, but it wasn't, yeah. Right, so I... I, I and they've made the Cardinals have made a lot of mistakes in recent years, but um, I think they can get this off season really right and bring back the fan interest. And I, I don't think it has waned as much as it looks like it has by the attendance um, in recent games. I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. And as your listeners are well aware, the the Cardinals fan base is you know they collect from six states and people plan road trips and weekends around it. When you like watch the video scoreboard of a, a normal, fully packed Cardinals game in 2018, 2019, the people are from Arkansas or from you know upstate Illinois or from Tennessee. Like the people they're interviewing, you know, the fans they're interviewing on those video boards, and they don't have that right now. And there's the pandemic, and it is a, a boring team. But yeah, looking ahead, I, I and again, I'm a pessimistic Cardinals fan. That's how I started this this show, but. Um, they're in a position to really do something special this winter and to build a lot of excitement around around the team moving into 2022. If I were to ask you who the best bat is available, like the best offensive source that would change a lineup, what would your answer be? It would like a free agent. Well, I mean, we or yeah, let's focus on free agents because the trade is kind of tricky. Mm -hmm. um, but of the of this free agent class. Who's the best bat? Who who's the guy who changes a lineup? I guess if Nelson Cruz wants to play till age 43, you think? I maybe. I mean, I I don't I don't know. Um, that's a really good question. Trevor Story 
has not had the best year, but he would be up there. Starling Marte has had an incredible couple mm-hmm. of months, yeah. um, especially since he joined the A's. He has lit it on fire. I don't have like the, the full list of upcoming free agents in front of me, so I'm, I'm sure I'm missing someone. What about Chris Bryant? Yeah, from a pure hitting I like Marte, what you mentioned. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think the Cardinals could kind of figure out a Marte deal. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's... I mean, he's 31 going on 32. I don't think you're going to have to pay him for five years. I think it'll be more three, four. He's, he's well, the model would have been deals. Fowler. And, you know, it's that kind of deal. I mean, that's kind of the yeah. the, the model, I think, right? I think that Starling Marte has always been a better player than Dexter Fowler. Sure. With all due respect. Yeah. Fowler, yeah. yeah. Um, the but it's the same age, same yeah. similar position, coming off a career year. You're looking at, you know, four-year offers. The Cardinals go five <laughs> to make him sign. There you are. Yeah, that, I guess it's kind of dangerous. And, and what Cardinals have – Cardinals fans have, like um, – what is it? What what happened in World War One when like shell shock? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's when you were in the trenches because they've made so many mistakes free agent wise and yeah. and trade wise. You look at the two contenders for the American League Rookie of the Year right now. It's Randy Arozarena and Adolis Garcia. And Garcia's had a bad couple of months, and Arozarena hasn't been the superstar that it looked like he was last October, but. Um, Isn't Tyler O'Neill outperforming both of them, but just not on the yes. field enough? Isn't that right? That, yeah, I mean that. I looked at those numbers about a week, week and a half ago, and Tyler O'Neill was better rate and better defensively, which has been the Cardinals' argument all along. Yeah. Though Garcia is better defensively than maybe we give credit. Yeah. I mean he's he's been pretty good for the Rangers, and we didn't really get a chance to see that that much. Um, so credit where credit's due. But as far as rates go. The, the one rate that holds Tyler O'Neill back is the rate of times he's off the field, whether it's just fluke things like the nut allergy or the reaction to getting the vaccine um, or, you know, the groin issue or sore back. And, I mean, he, he took a swing the other day that looked not right I know. and then had the awkward kind of slip at first base. But the, the swings just were not comfortable. Um, if you can't be on the field, you know, that's that's the sixth tool, right? I mean, you can be a five-tool player and your sixth tool of durability um, not being there, you're, you, that's that's tough for a team to build around. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not the first guy to say this, but what Le, what makes LeBron James so great is that he generally plays about 75 plus games a year. You know, yeah, he's been durable. Part of Arenado's excellence Absolutely. is not just what he does defensively to change games and offensively to change games; it's that he's on the field to change games. Yeah, I do think the Cardinals can look at their outfield this off season to go along with shortstop and. Maybe a starting pitcher. We we kind of talked about maybe Dakota Hudson comes back and is that low three ERA guy, despite you know not having the the, the typical strikeout rate of like mm-hmm. a modern number two, number three starter. Um, so yeah, and, and the DH. Maybe you talk about putting Dylan Carlson at DH every once in a while. Um, I think he's a, a, a strong defender, but um, it wouldn't be a bad option if, if you have to go get a corner. If, you, if you're going to get a corner outfielder who can really improve you offensively, can be like a middle-of-the-order bat. My, my thought for the Cardinals is that that's the question that they should attack at the end of this season, is what bat changes us? Mm. And figure out the position later. Because if you go, what bat changes us? Like if they, if Mo, Gersh, DeWitt, you know, Moises Rodriguez, Randy Flores, if that brain trust gets in a room and says, let's power rank just by sheer offensive ability, who changes this lineup? Left-handed bat, sure, that would be beneficial. Um, Lead-off hitter, you know, that would help this team if you prioritize OBP. Those would be two things that stand out. So what changes this thing? And then find that guy. If that guy plays shortstop, then you can repurpose DeYoung as a utility DH. He can play third, he can play second, he can play short. Um, he can give Arnado a day at DH, you know, every so often. He can give um, Paul Goldschmidt a day at DH every so often. He can give your new leadoff hitting shortstop mm. a day at DH two times a week and still be capable. And you got Sosa if you want to go defense. Um, prioritize the bat and use the dh to fit him in and fit whoever he overlaps if it's Stalin Marte, then cool 
you know then now you got the dh for tyler o'neill yeah. you got the dh for yeah you got the dh for dylan carlson you got you know you could put lars newbar in the outfield um you do have you got to keep in mind you do have burleson and gorman who could be banging on the door and gorman can be part of this but don't rely on him to be the answer to have him lengthen a lineup, not ignite a lineup. Yes. And that seems to be the question that they could pose to themselves and use the DH not as add a DH, but add the best available and sort out from there. Yeah, and Jordan Walker coming down the line yeah, too, yeah. man. I, I, I think the excitement is building around him. We, we had a prospects guy on our pod, again, Circling the Bases podcast from MEC Sports Edge, and he was just... Wait, that's your, what's the name of it again? Circling the Bases um, and that's your podcast. Yeah, that's right. Google Play, Spotify. <laughs> um, no, but it's it's a terrible podcast. But anyway, uh, but we had a process. I mean, this one is best in name only. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I think it's a very good podcast. But we had a prospects guy on, and um, I like the thoughtful conversations that you have, where it's not rigid. And we uh, we can talk about the podcasting landscape when the pandemic hit. Because I don't really have anything more to say about Jordan Walker, just that I, I really love. Well, him. What did the prospect guys? I mean, he, he, just, he look, he is he is quite possibly going to be the best bat the Cardinals, best impact middle order hitter that the Cardinals have had in a while. Nolan Gorman is the best power prospect they've probably had since Matt Adams, and yeah. Gorman is um, just more versatile. I mean, I saw where he's like the top rated second base prospect, and he started the year as a third baseman. <laughs> so go figure. Jordan Walker is, whew, boy, he is, he is, uh, I mean, you think of like some of these 19-year-old, 20-year-olds who have made impacts in spring, you know, I mean, go back, think about the Braves who had a couple, mm -hmm. um, you think about these guys who just started, Stanton was one um, with the Marlins that we saw, um, Yelich to a certain extent was a young guy mm -hmm. who like made noise. Marcella Zuna was a young guy who like wow he's playing center field. Jason but, Hayward. Uh, well, Jason Hayward is the most famous, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and it would not surprise me at all if Jordan Walker is one of those guys who you go, man, that guy made noise in spring training as a 19 or 20 year old and is a big leaguer. You know, what within 15 months. Yeah. Of that. that. I mean, he looks like that kind of guy. That's kind of what, um, yeah, our prospects guy was saying that he's he's going to be a, a fast riser. Um, he already already he already, he already has done is, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's got a little. He's got some things. Well, it was, it was Jesse Roche from Baseball Prospectus who who oh, does good. some legit scouting. He's he's a very smart guy, and I mean, I can listen to him break down players for just hours. But um, he was like coming into the year, I didn't think his hit tool was actually that polished but you watch video of him he there aren't many holes really in that swing and he can be a bad ball hitter too mm -hmm. with his frame yeah um and just the way he, that he talked through and as he fills out i mean he is a a lanky kid you know he, he can put on some weight um and really become like a john stanton type um, but and, and he actually said that he could play third base too he thinks yeah. you know m maybe he'll have to move to the corner outfield eventually but in the early part of his professional career, he has looked competent, if not pretty good, at, at third base. Um, hey, kids. See, live studio audience. <laughs> I, I promise. It just showed up at the end. They're loving the Jordan Walker talk. They're, yeah. they're about his age. Yeah, they'll be. They'll see him in the All-Star game. <laughs> in, in the Futures game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know where I was going with that. I just uh, I love Jordan Walker. The uh, So... You mentioned earlier, and this will be the last thing I ask you, and it will only prompt, I promise, a 20-minute conversation. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned earlier that you could talk for hours about Adam Wainwright. I want to get your thought on a question that has burrowed into my ear. Um, and I keep asking myself it over and over and over again, and I continue to look at it. Not too long ago, Joey Votto had his 2,000th hit. And this prompted a wave of writing and conversation about whether or not he was a Hall of Famer. And I was like, I always thought he was a Hall of Famer. I, I you know, I, I was, I was a little bit like kind of caught by that. Like I just assumed that he would be among the modern Hall of Famers, a guy who made very few outs, who made, who reached base a whole lot, just didn't do it by hits. I mean, this is a guy who 
um, you know, Jason Sark and C. Trent Rosecrans of the Athletic, you know, they point out like what he led the league in on base percentage seven times. Yeah. What that that's not a batting title, but it's a don't make outs title. And it's really good. <laughs> um, so I never I never got that impression, and that's maybe that's a like just presumption on my part that Joey Votto's a Hall of Famer. Of course he is. So here's the question: Is Adam Wainwright? Is Adam Wainwright a Hall? Is he going to enter the conversation? as a hall of famer i don't think he gets there unless he puts if he puts in two more good years maybe what, I, I i think that what does he have to do 200 wins no nah, i mean that I that's not what it used to be right that's not a thing anymore I, I, so what is it what is a thing and i am a voter and i'm asking this like what what's a thing you know you got me there i don't i i think if he if he was like an NF, if he had that NFL Hall of Fame resume with two World Series titles, he closed one out. He uh, he was not part of that. Right, he, he was he was uh, recovering. He was the best cheerleader in the dugout. Right. He said but he was part of the regular season. That no, no he, he missed he was the out whole. For Tommy John. The he missed. Time. It happened in spring, and he missed the entire season. See, I was I was young. I was 22 years old. I was doing this, so <laughs> <laughs> I lost a lot of brain cells along the way. But um. So it for okay him to be on part of two World Series teams I guess technically one that he w- had a, a significant impact on and part of probably the most successful National League franchise during his time you know during his whatever mm-hmm. 15 16 maybe it's more than that now 17 18 year career however long he's he's been in the league 17 yeah I mean that so we talk about longevity with baseball especially when it comes to I don't know, like 3,000 hits and 200 wins and the old way that you might have looked at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now it's a little bit more considering on base percentage, which I agree with you, Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer. I thought that he would have to put in a couple more good years and that 2020 kind of robbed him of being a Mm. no-doubter. But I think with what he's done this year and what he'll probably do next year as well has kind of secured that. But I don't have a great answer on why Adam Wainwright should not be. I think the problem is you put his... Regular season numbers, ERA, WHIP, strikeout rate, up against some other pitchers of this era, it's not going to look that impressive. It's going to be Roy Oswalt. Yeah. But you're also going to have Mike Messina show up. You're going to have Roy Halladay show up. There's going to be kind of like a wide. Re- bring it back to the Nash to the football hall of fame. There's going to be like a wide receiver blockage. Yeah, there's yeah. going to be a bit of a starting pitching. Interestingly, blockage. Dazzy Vance shows up as a comparable, who's a hall of famer, um, and a and a former Cardinal, if and a guy did, who yeah. pitched into his 40s, which is interesting. Yeah, and if he wants, I don't know. It seems like he's kind of ready to to be a family man, but I don't know if you can make 15 million dollars next year. And I know he's made generational income. Um, he's set, but I, I don't I don't know why he would stop doing it. Um, One thing he says is that he's making money for his future philanthropical. Yes, and he and he has been very candid about that. That that if he's gonna get if he has a chance to make money, um, he's like you said made generational money. So now he's working for what he wants to do. Um, in his charitable endeavors afterwards, yeah. um, which is totally which is a noble way to look at it. Yeah. Um, my my thought on this is that yeah, I'd love your. I, I don't have a good answer. Give me. A good um, answer. I don't have a good answer. Is that I want to continue to think, but my my thought is that at some point in time, Adam Wainwright will be in Cooperstown. If it's not Ooh. as a player, um, broadcaster, it'll be as a broadcaster. That 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 if if the writers. Don't vote him in, and then he comes around along with like the Billy Wagner's of the time and some of these other guys who, um, you know, I mean, you're, you're really hard pressed to search through this era, and you know, you'll get the Justin Verlanders, Max Scherzers, mm. and Clayton Kershaws atop all of the list. Yeah. You can't go six deep without finding Wainwright's name, uh, unless you're doing sorts by Cy Young Award wins. Um, you know, but if you do Cy Young Award votes, you, again, you don't, I mean, you can't, you have a hard time rolling six deep without seeing Wainwright's name there. And so if the Veterans Committee takes a look at that, because those other guys will be in, Verlander will be in, Scherzer will be in, Kershaw will be in by the writer's vote. If he doesn't get through then, then, you know, he'll go in as a, as a, as a broadcaster. I, I just, I, I get that 
that that's my bold pronouncement. He, I mean, he's going to be if he chooses to be a broadcaster, he's going to be exceptional yeah. at that. So there we are. We solved it. <laughs> I think you made a good point with the veterans committee thing too, because you're going to look back at that era and all those aces that you mentioned are going to be in there, and it's going to be like, well, why wasn't the the guy who was really the steadying force of the His best, catcher will be in, right? The the and Pujols will be in. Um, Roland will be in, but he was only there for the early part. Right, but I mean, there there are those connections at least. Um, it wouldn't shock me if, yeah, it, it might take 25 years, but it might be Albert on the Veterans Committee <laughs> saying, "Hey, wait, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we got to get Wayne in." <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. Well, Drew, this has been a great conversation. Thank, thank you very much for joining me. You can find his work at NBC Sports Edge and follow him on Twitter for all your acerbic cardinal needs, right? Is that a good way to say yeah, that? acerbic. It's a great great adjective. Okay. And I, you have a podcast, but what, what's the name of it again? I forget. I, I forget. Circling the Bases. <laughs> Circling the Bases. You can find Circling the Bases and the best podcast in baseball wherever you find your podcast. Drew, thank you very much. Thanks to the kids who showed up for the ending to, to talk about Jordan Walker. And uh, this has been great. It hasn't been too hot. No, I was actually worried about that because I am a sweater. But it, it's we got a little shade here, and it's going to get worse later in the day. I'm kind of glad we got started early. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank you. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design of St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and get free installation. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. That's 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find the best podcast in baseball anywhere you get your podcasts. It's also available on stltoday.com along with all of the constant Cardinals coverage. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. This has been the best podcast in baseball. Talk to you soon.